0: Sermon number seven hundred two, The Controller in Your Life preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bokerstown on Sunday, November seventeenth, nineteen seventy-four. Corinthians, the fourth chapter, beginning to read at the first verse. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself that I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then every man will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all this to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brethren, that you may learn by us to live according to Scripture, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What have you that you did not receive? If then you received it, why, why do you boast as if it were not a gift? Amen. What in the world controls your life today? I would like for a few minutes for you to think with me about the individual controllers in our lives. That for which we strive, drive, connive, and we'll sometimes even lie, that is the controller in a life. Now, God has created us in such a fashion that he could be the controller of your life and of mine. And the basic message of Jesus is, I understand it is the hope that God will be the controller of our lives. There's no other way that we can find the happiness, the potential, the fulfillment that God intended us to find unless we seek first and desire first that God control our individual lives. But having said that, I think we must also recognize the fact that though God wants us to allow him to control our lives in freedom, he has given us the privilege of choosing the controllers in our lives. A controller can be God. Controller can be another person. It can be an attitude, a desire. It can be so many different things. But each one of us, as we are here today, we have a controller, be it a he, a she, or an it, in our lives today. And that controller is there because we chose that controller. Enough of this. Immature psychology which tries to get people to believe that we have been forced by some way to adapt the leader that we now have in our life as being the supreme controller. Mana. No, no. There's not a one of us here who has not somehow, some way chosen that controller. Nobody can come in your life unless you allow him to do so or her. No one, no thing can control your life and you unless you allow it to control your life. Even the Lord Himself will not be like a midnight burglar and try to pry his way into anyone's life. No, he stands at the door and knocks. And if we hear his voice, and if we open the door from the inside, he will come in and sup with us, but he will never force his way into the control of our life. We are the ones who have chosen these controllers, and today in simplicity and in sincerity, Look at your control. Who is it? What is, is it? Is it God? Praise <laughs> the Lord, if it is. Is it someone whom you love? Drugs? One form or another. Bad habit? A drive that haunts you? Results of which you don't like. Maybe the best. But no matter how you can claim it does not, nevertheless, it does control your life. The things that you are risking, if anybody would find out. But like the Apostle Paul, those things you can't help from doing. That's the control of your life. For a lot of people. the almighty dollar. Let's face it. That's what controls so many lives. And they're probably are worst controllers, those that can cause more gossip, more havoc, more evil. But let's keep in mind that it's the love of money that is the cause of so many evils in this world. Now, money's a great thing. No one of us has enough of it. But if there's one thing that Jesus tries to teach us, is that if we do not control our money, our money controls us. There's no middle of the road in that philosophy. It's one way or other. As Jesus says, you cannot serve God and mammon, which is another word for riches you either love the one and hate the other, hold to the one, or despise the other. You can't serve both of them. And many of us do not have control of our money. And that's not new. One of the reasons why Jesus talks so much about the material possessions in one's life is simply because he knows that those things, especially money, perhaps can control our lives more than anything else. Money is neutral. It's neither good nor bad, but it is to be held under the control of mankind. And if you don't control your money, your money controls you. And you see, one of the business things of the Church is to try and to help people to control their money. Now, I'm just not trying to cop out of a situation, but I'm very honest with you people when I say, when are we ever going to learn that Pledge Sunday in a church is not a Sunday to be dreaded? It's not a Sunday when the people, the ecclesiastics, the the, the holy ones, the good guys, are trying to capture your money. It's a day when we should be helping people to learn how to control their money. And there's a difference. You see, there is no other institution in the world that can help you to control your money. None of it. You don't learn this from any other institution, society, or body than the body of Jesus Christ. And we're here. Not just to preach the good news that man can have salvation through Jesus Christ. We're not here just to support worthy causes so that people throughout the world can know the liberation that comes through Jesus Christ. But we're here to help each other and to help all of us to do the work of Jesus Christ, which includes Having the ability, the know-how, and the courage to control our money instead of allowing our money to control us. Now, how do you do this? As the body of Jesus Christ, I know of only three ways that we can be helpful and specific. Not talking in generalities, not just trying to put in appearance to fulfill a request that the Stewardship and Finance Committee has made of the pastor. No, no. We're trying to be practical. We're trying to be helpful. We're trying to help us do what we think is good for all of life. The first thing that I suggest is that we have an understanding of what has been commonly called stewardship. Christian stewardship. Without an understanding of this big, high-sounding theological phrase, I don't think any one of us has a ghost of a chance of being the controllers of the purse string. Christian stewardship is that concept which is taught through the entirety of the Bible, which says many things, one of which is, this is God's wonderful world. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and everything, everything belongs to God. Christian stewardship says you and I, we brought nothing into this world, and we'll take nothing from it. It says that everything we have, every day, every minute of life, that's a gift from God. Every talent, every ability, everything that we can do through these marvelous, coordinated bodies and resourceful minds, these are gifts from God. Every dollar you have in your pocketbook, your checking account that you have stashed away at home, every last cent of every dollar that's a gift from God. And God can stop those gifts coming any minute he wants, and someday, for each one of us, and no one of us knows the moment or the day, <coughs> those gifts in this life shall cease. And Christian stewardship, all it does is say, remember that. As Paul Shear says in one of his great helpful books, Christian stewardship. Is when you quit acting like you are the proprietor of the world and start behaving like its guest that's christian stewardship when we know that we are trustees we are managers we are stewards of everything that god has given and he trusts us god trusts you that's why he has given you what he has given you And he believes that you have the know-how, the ability, the courage, and the intestinal fortitude to manage those things well, and that he will return an investment from that particular thing that he has given to you. And it will be beneficial not only to you, but to all the world and to God. Christian Spiritship says that someday there will be an accounting made by us to God, for every day, every talent, and every dollar. We don't make that judgment now. as the scripture lesson that we read today suggests it will be made someday by God. And then it will be known, whether throughout this life, we controlled and managed the money that God has given to us, or well, that money that he gave to us to control, instead has controlled us. So we have to see, you see, first of all, an understanding of Christian stewardship. Secondly, I think what can be a help. In allowing God rather than gold to control our lives is an understanding of tithing. Tithing. Get that word. I feel that there's some people in Bakerstown that don't understand that word. I know most of you do not know it. We don't talk too much about it. But before this pastor marries a couple in this church or before he performs the marriage ceremony. He has interviews with those people, with two out of every five marriages fairly. One of the things which I feel is a responsibility (coughs) is to not allow people to enter into marriage haphazardly without first considering all the alternatives. And as a part of those counseling sessions, Questionnaires filled out by those people who hope to be married by me. It serves in many it serves in many ways this particular questionnaire, but mostly there's an agenda for our future meetings together. And one of the questions in there has to do with who will control the money in the marriage. Well, we we'll get in arguments over that one even before they're married. And I found out in the more than 15 years that I have given this questionnaire, and in the time that follows in counseling and in conversation, more and more we are zeroing in on that one aspect which seems to be causing more and more trouble in marriages, and that is money. This may come as a shock to some of you, but this counselor has found out, as I realize others have in what I read and in conversing with them, that from the 11th to the 15th year of marriage, suddenly, money becomes one of the biggest sources of discontentment in the marriage. Yeah, those of you who've been married 11 to 15 years, you're now punching your mate. Yeah. Eleven to fifteen years, suddenly that problem looms very big. For what it is worth, my own analysis, money is the second biggest cause of divorce that there is. There are five big areas. In my mind, money is the second most dangerous thing that causes trouble. And it's usually from that 11th to 15th year. We talk about tithing. We talk about it extensively, and I find more and more of the time is going into this area, because I've come to the conclusion, you see, that so much to the secret of life has to do with who controls the pocketbook, whether you do or whether you're money. And I encourage people to begin life together as husband and wives, tithing their first paychecks. Yes. Because I have found out, you know, that if you don't start early in life, you usually don't become a tither. I haven't given up on some of you, but I'm realistic enough to believe that most of you who are married who've been living for some time if you haven't become a tither now i don't think you ever will be and that's a tragedy you see tithing is only a problem for those people who do not tithe <laughs> it's never a problem for the tither but i do think that you've got to start early in life and all i can do is thank god for my parents and background and challenge that i received from a pulpit once began to tithe. If I were to start doing it now, I, I probably couldn't, because I would think it is impossible. But I am a tither, and I'm proud of it, simply because I started way back then. And there are many tithers in this Church, and I thank God for you. Because believe me, ladies and gentlemen, the Churches would not survive without those people. Most often they're the quiet people. They're the church's silent majority. They give not to control. They give because not only what happens with their gift to the church, but what happens to them because they do tithe. I'm not making excuses, and as I say in the counseling premarital rooms, yes, the church does benefit from the tithe, and we make no excuse for it. But, ladies and gentlemen, it's like those people who made contributions to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ needed the contribution to proclaim the good news. But in receiving those contributions, not only was the good news proclaimed, but the people who gave the contributions, they were helped. And it's the same thing. When you give your tithe to the Church of Jesus Christ, or a part of that tithe to the mission of Jesus Christ, not only is the mission complete, But you'll find a blessing in it. And I earnestly believe as I study this delicate subject more and more and more, tithing is just not to benefit the ministry. It's to benefit everyone so that he may feel a part of ministry and find the secret of life. Because you see what happens, folks, when we begin to tithe, And this is one of the side benefits. You automatically become a budgeter. You can't tithe without budgeting that 10% off the top, which you give away. And it's hard to find places to give it away. there there are others than the church. But when you're talking about that large sum of money, and that's a lot of money when you're talking to an affluent congregation like this. It's hard to know where to spend it wisely and in confidence. But when you take that 10% and you give it away in good faith and you trust the places where it is being spent to people who have a responsibility to God to be good stewards in spending your money, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, that you will get more out of the 90 percent that is left and get more mileage out of that income than you will the total 100 percent if you don't tithe. I've talked with a lot of people who have had money problems, a lot of them. But you know I've never talked to a tither yet who has had money problems? I've never met a tither who has money problems. Now, I don't know what all that means, but that's involved in the dynamic of tithing, and that's one of the reasons But the Old Testament stresses it. And when Jesus, when he talks about tithing, he condemned people who tithe only their money, claiming that we should tithe everything in our lives. But a second help that I can give to you from Scripture. Is that which comes through this age-old practice which we don't talk about anymore because it seems so demanding tithing the third is proportionate giving that's what most people practice i guess but a lot i find don't understand proportionate giving really proportionate giving is a method by which you are to control your finance It doesn't mean you just take a portion of your income, drop it in an envelope, and because you've been giving that same amount for the last 25 years, it's the same amount. Oh, no. This comes from Paul's teaching, and he says, on the first day of the week, which means proportionate giving, requires regular, systematic giving you give as the Lord has blessed you. And it requires you to sit down and to figure out when I'll just, how much has the Lord blessed me? And you give proportionately as to how you've been blessed. It means you may take 5 percent or 6 percent or 7 percent. You have to think that over. And if you don't think it, you see, you are escaping the responsibility that is tied in with the biblical concept of proportionate giving. Proportionate giving requires, first of all, for you to sit down and to think how the Lord has blessed you and to think about that proportion which you should give and then you regularly, regularly, systematically, you give it to the cause of Jesus Christ. I don't know, you know, What system you plan on using, it's none of my business. My business is to try and be an interpreter to help you this day and every day of the year to learn how to control your money so that the money God has loaned to you does not control your life. You see, and I I guess that's why this little card becomes such a threat. You know, I know some people who despise those cards, even stay away from church. They don't answer the telephone, hoping that they'll evade someone who's calling from the church. They they, they just despise these things, and one of the great tributes to this congregation is that on Pledge Sunday we have such a large crowd here today, because I believe most of you are here because you want to do something definite in sharing the gifts which God has loaned to you. But you know, that thing is more than just a piece of paper. And I think this is why it becomes so frightening to so many people. Because you see, when you sit down and fill out that amount and put your name to it, what you're actually doing with God alone and your conscience being your guide and judge, you are admitting to yourself, one, you do control your money. Or secondly, your money's controlling you. You don't say where it goes. You are allowing it to say how much. God gave unto us not the spirit of fear but of power, of love, of self-control. We're going to pray, and then the ushers will receive the pledges which today you hold in the control of your heart. Let us pray. Father, you are very good to us, and, boy, we of all people are richly blessed. We don't deserve it. We gripe and complain about so many things, and we forget we are sons of the King. Lord, we don't want to make it hard for you. Hard for ourselves, just help us to face the realities of life. Help us as we step out in faith. We're not pledging to a budget, we're just not answering to a cause. We we realise that if you have our hearts, well, our pocketbooks are there as well. For your son has told us that wherever the heart is, there is our money, our treasure as well. Help us this day to exercise the control which you expect us to have when way back in the beginning you told us through your word that we were made to have dominion over the things of the earth. Help us now in faith to step out as stewards. In Jesus' name, amen.